Jeff, Erica, Derek. We are play cousins. We are. We're not related at all. Not at all. What's up, girl? It's Women's History Month. It is. It's it all is. about women. It's all about women. Ladies' night. Ladies', ladies day. Ladies. 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 All day long. Why not? Dope women. We're going to talk to some dope women today. We are. We are. I'm really. I'm really proud of us um, because I think you're a dope woman. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that uh, I'm really proud of the, the level of the guests that we got. Some like national folks here who really have a who really made an impact on the world. Right. So you know we call it herstory, herstory. which I don't. That's what white we, we had a whole conversation <laughs> about that earlier. It was just like, well, isn't it just history? And it's like it's a word. And they're like, yeah, but that's his story, so it needs to be her story. But do we need to do that to the word, people or can it just be people who say herstory are the same people who spell women with a Y? Well, you they know? could be. Yeah, that it's could the same be. people. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but we feel like we don't um, have a place. I mean, a lot of times we've talked about it before. Um, you know, civil rights movement. There were plenty of women who were doing the thing. Not doing if you watch any movies the about heavy, the civil rights movement. <laughs> <laughs> the heavy lifting. You know what I've never seen is the full speech of uh, Josephine Baker at the march on Washington. Where will you? Like, in, they never show that. Where like, what did she talk about? That woman, you know, and talk about a, a herstory person, that woman and her lifestyle, her life is amazing. But no, you never will see that unless they make a movie about her. No, Lynn Whitfield. I wonder they if, did make yeah, a movie about her. They, they still, still didn't, didn't do it. Yeah. I don't even think, I don't even think it was in there. Rights. No, because I didn't even know until later that she had actually been there. No, no one yeah. had ever said it. No one had ever told me that she was a part of it. The only time they talk about a woman when it comes to that particular march, March on Washington, is when they say Mahalia Jackson, uh, you know, and yells now for over. our musical guest. Well, no, she yelled <laughs> over to Martin, be like, "Tell him about the dream, Martin." And then that's the whole how the whole so, "I have a dream" speech came to be. Less than thirty seconds, if that. And I think she might have just linked over. <laughs> boy, uh, do, right. do you think though you're that, telling the wrong speech? Right, right, right. Tell the truth, boy. I told you. Okay, so but in Aretha, in in respect, sort of the same thing. Like the 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 historical black women got a line, you know, like a quick line. I think there was a lot more emphasis on the men. Our husbands. I can't take away as an actor. I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> the whole time we're watching that movie. So him and I went to a premiere before yeah. it came out. And that's all he kept saying. I can't take him serious. That's a Wayans. Right. I mean, how a Wayans going to hit somebody and not get hit back? Like, that just didn't make sense. There's no domestic violence for me. <laughs> Sit down. Right. You're a Wayans. She has clown. so, but, but also like, so there's that, you know, um, version of it is that when we think about, uh, women in history and all they've achieved, it's usually some story of them coming away from some oppressed relationship, some man, mm. they were abused physically and mentally and sexually and what have you, whether it was Aretha or Tina Turner and so many others. And it's like, wow, now look at her now, but why did you have to go through all that in order to be, uh, noticed as being a great person. Which brings us back to Josephine, Josephine Baker. All of the things that she did, but you'll never hear her story really. But I have a question about this, because I'm sitting here thinking, is this because of the church, because of the patriarchy of the church? We So much of black women's subjugation and, and being kept down is by black men in the church. Am I wrong? No, I don't 
don't think that you're wrong. Now, mind you, I have to caveat, like I, I don't consider myself an organized religious person. Mm. You know, I went to Catholic school. I've been to church. <laughs> I understand. We've all been to Catholic school. Right. <laughs> Avoided them rulers. <laughs> no. You know, I so and, and I understand, you know, there's a Bible in my home. It belongs to my grandmothers. And I understand this, this the sanctity of, of, of church and, and these different things. But it's not something that I completely um, can understand or agree with. I read it for the stories. And so I, you know, so I struggle with the idea of organized religion and there being any sort of hierarchy in, in, in that sort of entity yeah. doesn't really make sense to me. But yes, I think not just a black church, but all churches are, yeah. um, oppressive when it comes to women, whether they can, you know, become priests or, or, yeah. or deacons or what have you, or if they're just not allowed to have any sort of decision-making. And when I went to Rome, I don't know if you know, I went to Italy. She went to Italy. She learned how to make pasta from scratch there. <laughs> I did. I did. But I also went to the Vatican. And I went to the Vatican partially because you're in Rome. You go to the Vatican. Went in Rome. And so, but I went and it was it was really disturbing to me because I, and I did a tour. And so the mm -hmm. lady's explaining a lot of the different artifacts, not all of them. Cause it's, the place is sarcophaguses huge. and stuff. Yeah. But there is so much, um, money, you know, mm -hmm. it was all about money and power. It was politics. It really had very little to do with God, yeah. God and was spirituality. Mis Isn't that the same thing now though? And that's how they made all the rules. Yeah. But, and that's exactly what it is. Now we went to the Vatican. Do you know what happened? What? My mom had a mini skirt on. And so they oh, yeah, you have in. to be covered to <laughs> yeah. go into the Vatican. Yeah. All right, time to cover up. We need to move on. All right, wind it up. <laughs> it's time for the news. On Playlist. There should be some news like music. Do we have news music yet? Now, reporting live from Playtest's World Headquarters, it's the news. That good enough? <laughs> I'd like yes, to have a guest. The fabulous, the fabulous. ultimate Twitter finger lady. Super weaponizer. <laughs> the fabulous Ms. Laura Martin. Welcome to Play Cousins. Crowd noise, crowd noise. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. I love play cousins. I guess I guess I'm the cousin because we all have that uncle who married a white woman. I'm that cousin. So. <laughs> yes, we do actually. Mine was named Dion. <laughs> yes, yes, we do all have one. Welcome, cousin. <laughs> Yay. That's Happy when you know that you're black when you have that. <laughs> right. It's like, well, yes, everybody has one. And then you're like, who right, is that? Right. So, Laura, bringing yes. us up today here, we are going to talk about the Ukraine. One of the things about this Putin's war, as they call it, is the man invaded Ukraine for no reason at all. He like put together reasons. They weren't right. Joe Biden said he was going to do it. But an interesting thing came out of it. First, it was pictures of Black people not being able to evacuate the country uh, because they were told to get off the buses, get off the trains, et cetera. Now, Prince William of England has said that basically the reason this is so upsetting to us as the world is that they're doing this in a civilized country, unlike, say, Syria or Africa. And there's been a lot of like bounce back on that. I just want to get y'all's opinion. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm not 
um, too surprised. We're not too many months removed from Haitian refugees who, you know, escaped a presidential assassination, multiple earthquakes trying to cross into the United States for asylum, being met with horses and weapons. And then, you know, in Ukraine is a different deal because people see them as white. And that's, you know, the dominant culture and anti-Blackness doesn't know any borders. And so it's ironic that Prince William, someone who is the grandson of a Nazi sympathizer, whose legacy is built on violent colonialism, would dare say that anyone else is uncivilized. Um, because I can't think of anything more uncivilized than going across the world and maiming brown people in order to, you know, guard your own wealth. And so it's something that we have to deal with. And I also remember the New York Times columnist, Nick Kristoff, who got in trouble, gosh, maybe about five years ago, because he admitted he looks for white people when he goes to these war-torn countries because he thinks people won't care if there's not a white protagonist in his story. And of course, he got Is in he trouble. Is he wrong, though? That's what I'm saying. He got in trouble, but like... Yeah. We're seeing it play out in real time, unfortunately, and we really have to deal with why we always assume brown skin means bad, uncivilized, dangerous, and white people are the opposite, even though history tells us that's not They're true. They're savages. Yeah. I, I think, you know, something else to add to that is that, you know, Prince William also said, um, you know, not too long ago, uh, uh, Actually, I just lost my train of thought. But when he, when when you think about colonialism and you think about, um, you know, how they went in, you know, you know, it, it's not too far, far fetched of a thought for him to think the way that he does. Because why did they go in and and quote unquote conquer all of these places in the first place? Because they thought that they were saving people, that they were teaching them how to be. Uh, civilized, you know, they were bringing them religion and bringing them clothes and bringing them, um, you know, really guns and violence and everything else. So, you know, I think it's Civilized hard for him them. not to have a, yeah, but he, it's hard for him not to have a, um, uh, an air about him that just thinks that he and 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 his 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 kind are are better or built different and it would just be um unheard of for this sort of things to be happening happening amongst a bunch of of white people and then you think about how he treated Meghan Markle yeah I'm still not over them being afraid that that, that was where I was gonna go you know when I moved to England <laughs> <laughs> like red don't check black um I, when I moved to England, the last words, the very last words my dad said to me as I walked down the ramp, because it's back when you could do that, the very last words he said to me were, you're not there until you're near. You're not there until you're there. Don't forget the British invented racism. Mm. I got deported right after that, you know? So it's weird to me. Yeah, right. Uh, it's weird to me that, that this is even, I mean, how do you not know in 2022 to just shut your mouth? Like the stuff that comes out of people's mouths about when this you war don't has think that you're amazing. wrong, you're never going to shut yeah. your mouth when you think that you are, you know, in the right for all of these things. I think that, well, you know, oh, I remember what I was going to say now about uh, Prince William. It wasn't that long ago when people talked about racism and colonialism, and he said that the British Empire was never racist. And so, <laughs> you know, when he said that, I think that was a year or two ago. I can't remember. It was around the Meghan Markle. Yeah. Yeah. And so the fact that he doesn't even equate 
you know, um, the colonization of, of these different countries as a form of racism shows that he's not going to even remotely think um, anything different than he does when it comes to um, uh, the difference between savagery and, and, and what that looks like and where it should be expected versus where it's actually happening. And then not even thinking about why there was so much savagery in, in certain parts of why Africa. Why did you have to be like countries. that? Yeah. Why, why y'all come over there bothering people in the first place? Mind your business. There might not have been all of that happening. Well, okay, so for both of you, should we be helping the Ukrainians? I mean, everybody's on board, everybody's on board. But after seeing what they do to, to black people and, and how this is all played out, should black people care? Should black people help? I mean, I think we should always care. We should care about what's happening to fellow human beings. Um, I think it's an it should be an eye-opening experience, though, to um, all folks, Americans especially, is that this world is not as big as we make it out to be. And like Laura said, racism has no borders. It is absolutely everywhere. There are Black folks being oppressed all over this world. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a Confederate or a Trump sign. It could be all different sort of things that, that are happening. And so in that sense, we should care because we need to care about our African diaspora. But we should also care about the folks that are being blown up because Putin is a bully. But at the same time, how do you teach folks in a time like this that um, you know somebody's skin color doesn't mean they shouldn't get get a chance to leave if you can leave? Like I'm not sure what that's about. I don't know how you punish somebody for um, you know something that's inherently um, you know ingrained into the system, the world mm -hmm. system, the world economic system. Okay, Laura. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I believe it was Ukraine or either NATO had asked the African Union for help and they were just like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. And I think it's, yeah, it's like people are, you know, looking at the facts of the ground. It's unfortunate that um, Putin is targeting hospitals, um, you know, killing moms who are in the middle of labor. I mean, that's awful. But I think that there are times when other countries, when Haiti when Sudan begs for help and it's just not there, but then we're expected to, for everyone to jump in and save Ukraine. So we, I'm against any war. I'm against the next war that's being planned. Um, but uh, I think that we also have to maintain our own self with dignity as well. Well, that brings me to, and I will wrap this one up, but that brings me to the fact that I was reading today in South African news, business news, which, yeah, I'm pretty, we're pretty intellectual here. What props? Um, anyway, in South African business news today, they were saying that right before the war started, it was the 30th anniversary of Russia being the first to like help them out in the fight against apartheid. So, you know, what are they supposed to do? And Erica, you always say um, that there's like something will happen to you be like, it's another example of black people saving white people. Like, what, at what point do we stop? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can. I mean, Brenda's going to get us because we're supposed to be done talking about this. But hours ago, <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't I don't know if there is a way for us, you know, to all collectively be good human beings at the same time. You know, there's a few here and a few there, but never enough to actually have a really strong ripple effect that we actually make positive change. So I don't know. I'm not telling people not to help other people, but, you know. Let's just make sure we're helping ourselves. And same way with voting, right? Like we can't just 
vote for folks and then just sit back and, you know, if they don't do right, we don't hold them accountable. If we go save somebody, then we need to hold them accountable to return the favor because Black Lives Matter. I am so excited. I'm Derek. We're play cousins. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm so excited. He's so excited because it's Women's History Month. It's Women's Month. History Month, Madam C.J. Walker. Yes. It's March. It's unseasonably warm. Yeah. And, and the mask mandates are off. And yes, hopefully they continue, um, that the numbers continue to go down, Which even you, though won't. <laughs> I think I will still be wearing my mask well into the future. Yes. But Name another woman you like. Like a historical woman. Who's your historical woman? Like, if that was you... Fannie Lou Hamer. Really? Yes. You're I'm so sick and tired. I'm sick and Lola tired Falana of being sick and tired. Who? Lola Falana. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, our first guest for Women's History Month is the fabulous Lisa Mosley. I'm going to have Lisa uh, introduce herself, because I don't believe that anyone can introduce somebody better than they can introduce oh themselves goodness. and say who they are and what they don't stand for. Don't do a Derek style where you need a half no, an hour. No, we don't do that. <laughs> Love when other people introduce me. Well, so. I could well let me start, and uh, then I'm gonna. But I am gonna ta- still tag okay, you in it. Okay. Lisa Mosley, the woman who eats her dessert first. first. Absolutely. First. The woman with fabulous hair. Ooh. Always. The woman who stands for goodness, stands for justice, stands for the black American folks, <laughs> stands for black folks. And who I have known now for more than nine years, according, according to Facebook. To Facebook. And so I nice. remember meeting you exactly at UNLV. I don't know why I was there. We were at some event and you were sitting in front of me. And I was like, who is this lady? Because I can't see past her hair. See, I can't even <laughs> see what's going on. This lady with this big hair. But it looks really healthy. And I kept thinking. Yeah, it's lustrous. <laughs> Not and I, I, I honestly do not remember what the event was. It was I, some type of comp- it, it had to it be Black Caucus or something because you were heavily involved in Black Caucus. I don't right think I don't period. think it, I don't think it was I don't political. Think. I think actually I think I do remember, but I'm not going to bring up old people. So oh. yeah, so I think that it, it was a it, I think it was a conversation. Oh, and I'm going to talk about how fly her boots are. Yep. And she's a woman who wears beautiful thigh high sexy boots to come and hang out with us. Right. So I don't know Got what else Derek there is to approval. say. She's a mother. She is a a friend. And she's she a is, hoot too. I've been out with her. Hood? Oh, hood or hoot? Hoot. 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 Okay. Why you got to see that I would say, I've been out with her too. I think you're dealing in tropes. <laughs> we like to sip. We like a nice cigar. We are just dope black women. I'll give you that. So that's that. how I would introduce you. You're but a dope black else, woman, yes. But what would you say about yourself? I would co-sign all of that. I am somebody who, as you said, I believe in eating my dessert first, not just literally, but figuratively. I am... And a bodybuilder. I am. I am officially a fitter competitor, fitness competitor, and I plan to do it again. Except I had a car accident uh, last year. As my arms, the jello thing but does yes, that I'm one, a fitness competitor. But more so than that, I'm just a person who believes in consciousness and believing in understanding the I amness of all of us. I am. Somebody. I amness. So, what does it mean to be a woman in this time and space? Power. It means you can do whatever the hell you want to do. It means you have, we have so much power right now. 
we've always had it, but I think women are realizing their power so much more, which is very exciting because I've been in this women's empowerment space for a long time. I started writing a blog called Eat My Dessert First, which is a lifestyle blog about learning to love yourself and enjoy life first without worrying about all the stuff that life has to offer you. Do that first. I started writing that blog in 2008. And much of what we're seeing in this empowerment space, self-love, self-worth, self-care, I've been writing about that stuff since 2008. And it wasn't really popular then, but it is now. And so for somebody like me who's recognized that and who has been writing about it, teaching about it, doing workshops about it, I'm very happy to see women and men finally embracing their worth and just loving on themselves. Do you think, because I remember that period, Mm -hmm. uh, do you think maybe you were ahead of your time? Because like you had a radio show for a minute, I did. and I no, where we talked about yeah. this, mm-hmm. yeah, a, pod, you, a podcast, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were always like a well, others, everybody ran behind you. Well, you know, maybe yeah. belong alongside. Yeah, behind. Take okay. the credit. Uh, so you, I ask Erica this all the time, and I want to get your opinion. Right now, Black women are experiencing a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it? A long-term renaissance? Is it a permanent renaissance? Or is it just black girls are the trendy thing for the moment? Y'all remember when the Women's March here was uh, was here a few years mm-hmm. ago? and That was a hot mess. I, <laughs> we were in a group of women, and we were working on just stuff for the Women's March. And, 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 and this hashtag came to me that said, I am not a trend. Mm. We were talking about black women and who we are and what we do. And that hashtag came to me, I am not a trend, because... Just what you said, dear, black women are all of a sudden everywhere. Right. People are talking about us. But I don't, we are not a trend. We've always been here. But we are, have always are, been here. Are black women a marketing thing right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, look how much buying power we have. Look how much money we inject into the economy of this world. Not just the United States, but the world. You see Whether so many shows now yeah. featuring black women that you would not have <laughs> seen. Created and, you know, and run and, by black women, too. Yeah, and you go down any natural hair care aisle, and you're going to see all these products for curly hair that are not made by black women. Yeah. So, yeah, people are making money on black women. Black women are trending. You know, They're marketing to us, but we're not, we're not always on the receiving end of those benefits. Right. Absolutely. So thinking about how we um, see ourselves, mm. you know, how black women have always been uh, looked at as superwoman or strong or whatever, black girl magic, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it, um, which can sound, sound like a compliment. Well, mm-hmm. it can sound like a compliment, but at the same time, it, it also makes us sound superhuman or not human not at human. all. Not and human. so it's very frustrating, I think, at least for me. When people say, oh, you do all these things and you and you can do this and you can do that and blah, blah, blah. And you're so strong. And it's like, well, I'm just a woman, you know, exactly. and I'm just trying to get through and get by because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm thriving. But a lot of times I'm just surviving. And so and I think it's been ingrained in a lot of people, specifically black people, black women and black men about that hustle mentality mm-hmm. that you got to grind until you die. Don't mm-hmm. sleep this that, and the other. How do we get to a point where we are? thinking about eating our dessert first Mm -hmm. that we're thinking about napping that we're thinking about rest that we're thinking about um having space to be free because i think 
even for me, it's hard. You know, I was raised by, you know, strong black mm -hmm. people who understood uh, a hard day's work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I was taught that way that you just, you know, you keep going until you get it done. You keep your job, you know, you all of that. But no one talked about vacations no. or relaxing. No one talked about, you know, you spend all this time to have these nice things, a home mm -hmm. and, and a car, whatever. And you don't actually get to use them because you're at work. And the couch is covered in plastic <laughs> you know, I, in the I, living I, room. And your couch is covered in plastic. <laughs> I think the simple answer to that for me is where do we get our value from? Black women have always been able to make something out of nothing. It is what we had to do. We watched our mothers do it. We watched our grandmothers do it. We watched our neighbors do it. We've always been able to do that. I think the problem came in when that became the place where we got our value from. When we have never been told that innately we're valuable just because we exist, just because God created us, but our value came from being able to make a meal out of nothing. Our value came from being strong and supporting everybody else in our community. Our value came from saying, you know what, Sister Washington, Erica Washington, she is always here at the church. She is always here. She's the first one to come in. And she's the first, slavery. last one to leave. And Miss Erica gets to sit up there and, and receive those accolades because she doesn't nobody's ever said miss erica you are amazing just because you are a reflection of god nobody's ever said that they've always said miss erica is amazing because of what she does and so doing became the place where black folks get their value and it isn't just black folks it's people but since we're talking about black people it became the place where we get our value so now in order for me to feel good about myself and to feel valuable i gotta go out here and hustle because this world says I shouldn't go to sleep until the job is done. I watched my mother have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and walk to the bus stop to catch a bus to go to work on one job and leave that one and go clean somebody else's house. And she came home at six o'clock at night and still cooked us dinner. All of those things became who we are. And isn't, uh, you know, everything you've said right now just tells me there's a direct line from slavery. Absolutely. Because that, that's what it is. It's like you get up before dawn and you don't stop until all that cotton is picked. And then you better do all the womanly things like go back and make the dinner. And mm -hmm. I, I, I would say I can't I I cannot imagine what it is like to be a woman because it's amazing. It's it looks hard. <laughs> it can be. But I think the beautiful thing now is women are beginning to say, hey. We don't have to do all of those things the way that we were told we have to do them to feel valuable and to have value. The world sees us that way. That's where the world says our value is. But black women are saying, mm -mm, look, look at me and all this gloriousness. <laughs> if, there, I am, yeah. I, if, if there was someone you could go back in history and, and bring forward and, and have this conversation with and just say you are valued, or who would you bring yeah, back? What you did you know, affected us. Ella Baker. I absolutely love civil rights icon Ella Baker. She Can you tell him who Ella tell Baker me who she is? Oh my God, Ella Baker was the driving force behind many of the civil rights movements, the, the civil rights movement, and many of the components of the civil rights movement. From the March on Washington, she was the one behind the scenes saying, this is what y'all are going to do. But she does not get credit. And She's it's okay. because No, Ella Baker was, that's what she wanted to do. She was that woman who said, look, I'm going to be back here working my magic and doing this, these things to get this stuff organized. She was part of SNCC. She was part of all of the, the whole civil rights movement. And her name is barely known. Yeah, I don't and know. And she wanted it that way. 
But there is Did a foundation. Really? There is a foundation. But I will say she may have wanted it that way. But I do have um, some animosity towards the too. history of Absolutely. the civil rights movement. Uh, hello, where, gay guy here, Bayard Rustin. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that that it wasn't a man's thing that, you know, like and even mm-hmm. I was so disappointed when I watched Selma and it was uh, uh, directed was by. I didn't watch it. It it was directed by Ava DuVernay, who Mm -hmm. I really enjoy. Like, I think she's a great director. I follow her on Twitter. She does a lot of great things. Mm -hmm. But it still seemed like the women that were in the movie were just in the kitchen frying chicken and making sure the men folk had Making sure Martin had some before he got back on the bus. And then when he called Mahalia just to sing to him because he needed a a word or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you had, you know, Coretta talking about, I wish I was strong. Mm-hmm. And I was just what? like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but again, that's where people said our value was. So we wanted to fill those roles. You know, let me just go on in here and cook the dinner for the men folk. I mean, honestly. Uh. I but am, the thing is, we know that they did more than that. We do so know when that do they we get more. those stories told that we know that they we did? We have to tell them. Well, if we have Giovanni to tell didn't them. tell it. No. And that, that is why I didn't watch that movie. I did not watch it because I'm so tired of seeing those kinds of movies where black women are not celebrated for what they really did. Right. They're celebrated for the support roles that they played to men. We did more than that. Did you see Respect, the Aretha Franklin movie? I haven't seen that uh, either. Because that I thought that black, well, Aretha, I thought black women got what you're talking about a little bit more. It was, they weren't, they didn't play that role. Yeah, I mean, there were other issues, yeah. but yeah, you know, it, it wasn't I, as much. I wanted, I What's a movie that the, you've seen where you feel like the black women were represented well? black women are represented well well can I just tell you I don't watch movies that much but what I was getting ready to say is the women in the Black Panthers those Uh women they were on the front lines and they were saying you're going to respect us but also again they were behind the scenes being abused being mistreated and many of them are coming out now and talking about that and those are the problem I have there because I grew up in that era like they gave us head start and stuff Mm -hmm. but all the women were light skinned like obviously light skinned and it, I Many of the ones that were out front. Right. Were. And it just, even as a kid, I knew something was wrong. Well, I mean, we were still in that time where color was an issue. Color is still an issue for many of us. And though we don't want to admit that, that we were part of that, it was the way. It was the way. And so you just did what you did within that structure that was created. Mm-hmm. We hated it. I hate it now. Yeah, because I, I don't think it glorified the spectrum of mm-mm, black women. Mm-mm. Well, no, I mean, I think we even talk about hair. We you know we've talked about um, mm-hmm. Lisa and her lovely hair, <laughs> lustrous and l- lustrous hair. Lustrous. And I think, um, you know, I have been wearing my hair natural for a whole lot of years. Exactly. And then I had locked my hair for a while, partially because I was a little bit frustrated with there, there just wasn't enough stuff available well, because they're not catered. I've seen you back in your fro. Well, I'm thank just, you. Like, well, you know, we hair. we have the same hairstylist, so you know, and, and but being able to have that there weren't net i didn't know of a natural hairstylist mm-hmm. um you know 10 years ago is it 15 anti-black years ago. if i say i like 10 years ago let's, let's try let's try 20 <laughs> my daughter's 23 so let's try 22 years ago yeah it's like besides once you get out of the ponytails and and, and braids when they're younger mm-hmm. then it's like what do you do you end up giving them a perm or yep. relaxer Hot comb. or <laughs> You know, I don't know anybody who's hot combing now, but <laughs> but yeah, and that was just the way to go. I mean, I got hot combed as a kid, I, you know. I mean, I I liked the whipping my hair back and uh, forth and all that. I didn't like getting my ears burned or what have you. <laughs> Ow, mama. 
but for your hair to sit up because you know it just naturally sits up at attention or whatever was something was wrong with that like oh, yeah. my grandparents would have found something wrong with that but that's because that's what they were told exactly. and so exactly. and we had to assimilate into if we want to get certain jobs mm-hmm. or you don't want to be, want good to be colored seen, folks well if you don't and you don't want to be seen as you know raggedy or or so uneducated right, or right. whatever right and, and then you know good hair bad hair all that sort of thing which i think you know gave us low self-esteem absolutely absolutely and then you know there was a point when our hair became a political statement so if you wore your hair out like in the 70s we're talking about these women now they're making a political statement and so now you look rebellious Right, you know, angry been, black I've woman. I've been in those her, yeah. spaces. For wearing it, how it came out of your head. Exactly. I remember being an officer and walking, this was in the late night, the very last uh, year of the 90s, walking into job, my job with my hair in a fro one day and some folks looking at me. Now, to be honest with you, though, it wasn't all the white folks who gave me her time. Some of us. Oh, because you're like, making us look bad. As yeah. A, yeah. Wh- why are you wearing your hair nappy? You uh-huh. know, you, you need to go comb. You need to put a hot comb to that. I can't tell you how many times I heard that. That's from like, our own folks. Don't mm-hmm. don't embarrass us in front of white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. Already? And yes. And I, oh we God, need to wrap up. So quickly. I know. And I know. I think she was a little nervous. Derek can make people nervous. I do. <laughs> Does she know me long enough? To, at least they never nervous of me. I'm not nervous. Cause, look, Lisa she, don't get nervous getting nervous. Period. But I think that he can be a little off-putting. But <laughs> as we you wrap up. You just said that I was, you just made me like putting that set out too long. <laughs> you know, you just always, look, I just hard. always want to make sure I'm saying the, the right thing. We can say what we want yeah. to say because it's Women's History Month, and, and we're and we're com- we're always making history. So I want to end here, and I but I want to ask one last question. Um, you know, as it's Women's History Month, what is your legacy in this I, in this world? I think my legacy is going to be bringing people, and this sounds so cliche, and I almost hate it, but actually I'm gonna change that. My legacy is going to be helping people to understand their value and their worth. That's really all I want to do, particularly with women. I want women to understand their value and their worth, their inherent worth. And I want to do that around the world. I don't want to just do it here. I want to leave a legacy of love for my community, of people knowing that I love my community. I work to bring my community together. I work to bring peace and healing and understanding. I think if you can get understanding, that is the greatest thing you can do. So that's what I want my legacy to be. That's so beautiful. It I is. have my passport and I'm ready to go with you around I the world it. and spread that love and eat do. dessert. Mm-hmm. You forever trying to like get, go somewhere. I am. Can you yeah, stay you home with your new husband? Ooh, I just said something really misogynistic. I take that back, people. Wow. After all, we just talked. <laughs> about I, know, I didn't hear any of it. I guess. just told me to stay home in the kitchen for my <laughs> husband. Go back. What you gonna come out a few babies too? Go I keep asking her too. Okay, and that is a wrap. Play cousins. will be back. Bye. If you're down, take a pound and pump your fist up for the sound of the nature of a sister. Erica. Derek. We're play cousins. We're not related at all. Not whatsoever. Mm-mm. But who I'd like to be related to is our next guest. Me too, but you won't let me. I won't. Okay. We are happy to introduce um, a good friend of mine and a comrade and colleague and all of the things, um, Miss Alicia Garza. She is an organizer, political strategist, and cheeseburger enthusiast. She is, an, she is the principal at Black Futures Lab and the Black to the Future Action Fund, co-creator of the hashtag 
Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter Global Network, Director of Strategy and Partnerships at the National Domestic Workers Alliance and host of the Lady Don't Take No podcast, which is one of my favorites. Lady Don't Take No. That is, again, that's not how the theme song goes, but it is a really dope theme song. I do dance to it. Uh, I wish it was longer, Um, but welcome, Alicia, to Play Cousins. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here with y'all. It is so good to hear your voice. I know you have a lot going on. Um, She's moving. She's moving across the country. You're moving to Atlanta, right? I am. I'm moving to Atlanta. Did she ask you to put all her business out there like that? I didn't say what street she's on. (laughs) Well, don't tell them because you might tell everybody. It is Women's History Month, and so we really wanted to have you on to talk about, you know, the legacy of women in the movement, which I find that there's just not enough conversations about, both past and present. And women are the movement. Women are the movement. Yeah. I'm glad you understand <laughs> I that. I do. I get it. I know I'm subjugated the leg- to women. <laughs> the legacy that you are leaving uh, in the Bay Area, the the seeds that you have planted and, and, and have watched grow, and what you expect to happen as you, as you move down south where you're going to. I'm sure plant more seeds and, and help combat all of the shenanigans that are happening in the South. In an undisclosed location, since I can't say she's moving to Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alicia, tell us about your um, your legacy and and your work in in the Bay Area and what's that what that has meant to you. Well, you know, the Bay Area is my home. It's the only home I've really ever known. I'm born and raised here in the Bay. Um, I learned how to organize here in the Bay. I learned how to organize in Oakland uh, through a program called the School of Unity and Liberation Summer School Program, um, where I learned to knock doors and get folks to come to meetings to devise plans on how we were going to address the issues that were impacting our lives every day. Um, and, and we also learned how to kind of design campaigns, right, that could change the rules and make new rules. And um, this place is so important because, as you know, there is a legacy here um, in Oakland that is well known across the country, even though the Black Panther Party was founded in Lowndes County, Alabama, Uh, The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was founded here in Oakland, California. And so there's a long kind of history and tradition of resistance here. Um, And my kind of story, right, sits right inside of that. I also worked across the Bay in San Francisco for about a decade in a community that was the largest remaining Black community in San Francisco called Bayview Hunters Point, where we organized community residents around gentrification and displacement, environmental racism, gender and economic and racial justice. Um, And it was really that experience that taught me so much about the ways in which corporations and government work hand in hand to make plans about us without us. Um, And it was really there where my desire to um, work with our communities so that we could be powerful in every aspect of our lives and not have politics be an exception was really birthed. Um, And so that's where and how I ended up founding the Black Futures Lab and the Black to the Future Action Fund in 2018 right here in Oakland uh, with my co-conspirator, Robbie Clark, who is a native-born Oaklander. Uh, And, you know, we haven't looked back ever since. That's so dope. I didn't even realize that uh, you and Robbie started together. 
Who's Robbie? Robbie, Robbie and I were co-collaborators and Robbie um, was awesome enough and also loony enough to <laughs> listen to my big idea and be like, yeah, I'm down with that. I'm down to work with you on that. <laughs> I need a Robbie, don't I? <laughs> I, I feel like I've been your Robbie, but actually I don't want to be anymore. You don't listen to me. I have a, I have a question for you. Um, one of the things that bothers me right now going on in this country, and it's throughout the country, like in L.A., it's West Adams. Uh, here in Vegas, it's going to be the historic black and west side soon enough. The gentrification of black areas is really annoying me. And I'm wondering, are you going to Atlanta because Oakland and the Bay Area is dead to black people? You know, I have to say, I never thought that I would leave the Bay. And in a lot of ways, I'm not going to, right? I can imagine myself, um, you know, maybe being bi-coastal or something like that. <laughs> um, but I do have to say, you know, um, the rents here are astronomical. And unfortunately, um, that is true for so many families and people who are living here. Um, that the rents are high, right? And there's not a lot you get in return. Um, and so we have a kind of massive crisis, especially in neighborhoods that were historically black, like the one that I'm just moving out of, um, where you have wealthy white families that are moving in, right? And pricing out um, not only kind of native Oaklanders, but pricing out, you know, um, folks with lower incomes that also need to access housing. And that's why when you come to our city, you see so many people living under bridges and alongside freeways and tent cities um, because, you know, people can't afford housing here. It's just one of the most expensive housing markets in the country. And I believe just a few years ago, Oakland surpassed New York wow. in, in terms of um, cost, right? And that's insane when you think about um, you know, the cost of living in New York City, for yeah. example, Oakland's cost of living is higher than that. And, you know, I'm not unaware of the dynamic, too, of um, gentrification that's happening in the South. Um, you know, I have family um, where I'm moving, and I think I've known that there has been more of an exodus to the South from by Black folks, um, mostly also because of the cost of living. There is a challenge, though, which um, you be, we need have to you become the gentrifier now. Well, yeah, I was just going to say the challenge that we have to name here is that people, you know, people here on the West Coast have higher tend to have higher incomes right, yeah. than, mm -hmm. um, than folks in the South. And so even though I can't afford the rent here, um, I'm bringing, you know, California resources um, to my new home. And that is higher than the resources that are there right now. And so it is driving up the costs. And this is the push and pull dynamic of an economic system that prioritizes profit over people. Um, so that's, that's the contradiction. Well, I do think Atlanta is a good place. I told Erica, if I was on a reality show, I would totally move to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. Okay, so I want to think about this and, and gentrification and housing and the and the housing prices and and everything is just so you know rent so damn high. But when like how do we fight that? A lot of things when you think about um, Black Lives Matter and you think about um, 
uh, over-policing and police brutality, people have a boogeyman. They have somebody that they can point the finger at and say, this is the problem. Um, this is where we need to root out the, the evil. But when it comes to housing um, and capitalism and what have you, how do, how do we fight against that so that people can have um, a roof over their head that's not just, you know, ramshackle like a shack, but an actual home that everyone can have their version of the American dream? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first piece of that is actually understanding um, why and how gentrification and displacement happen. I mean, we just had a quick chuckle about if I'm becoming a gentrifier and I chuckled and said yes. But the fact of the matter is that shorthand for like an economic process by which um, corporations, right, and um, investors and speculators drive up the cost of property on top of land. Land is relatively cheap in any place, um, but the structures that we put on top of that land are really where the money is. And in a place like California, for example, we used to have uh, a, a redevelopment agency, right? And you may have heard, you know, stories from the Bay Area about urban renewal, which Black folks called Negro removal. And that was really a process by which um, there were dollars that were generated, right, from the turnover um, and the changing of hands of property, um, structures that are built on top of land. And so when you ask what we can do about it, right, I give that, that um uh, definition of, of what gentrification is, because it, it is also very much a cultural process that that um, that couples, right, and mirrors um, the economic process. And when we talk about what we can do about it, we have to change policy, but we also have to change perception. Um, there are tons of policies that we can start to look at that try and decommodify housing, which basically means um, ensuring that everybody has access to it. If you only get to access housing, if you can pay top dollar, right, some people are going to get left behind and other people are going to get pushed to the front of the line. And so in municipalities and at the state level, we really need to do a lot more to um, make sure that there's an even playing field. Um, the other thing that we need to do, though, is that we need to make sure that as we're um, building out neighborhoods, right, that we're building neighborhoods for the people who live there and not just the people we're trying to attract in. The challenge with the exchange of um, uh, occupants inside of properties, right, is that um, city governments actually are incentivized to try and bring wealthier people into areas that are low income because that's where the most profit margin exists. Um, and instead, what we should be doing, right, is thinking about how it is that we can secure resources for people who live in those communities already. It's, it's not to say that new people should never come into a community, but it's to say that the interests of the folks who are living there should be prioritized. And so that means, right, that folks should get grocery stores in their community, not just because white people are moving in. Do you get kale? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but everybody yeah. should have access to kale. There should be good and quality schools in neighborhoods. And in my city, um, there was just recently a hoopla because there were a ton of schools that were shut down here, even though our state has a massive budget surplus. Um, so those are some of the things you can do economically, culturally, right? 
we also have to be really mindful of not making cultures caricatures that can be bought or sold. I remember when I was um, fighting gentrification in Bayview Hunters Point, one of the ways that they tried to sell it to the community was by making everything quote unquote African themed. And so that meant. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? I swear on my life. Everybody should get a kid take cloth and say, oh, we're here now. What? Baby, I'm talking safaris and elephants and the whole thing and Umoja, like the whole thing, right? Because it was my family comos- just grew up on the spelt or whatever they called it, the belt. <laughs> no, it was literally a hot mess. Like they talked about bringing in a jamba juice and doing like animal uh... print. You know what I'm saying? Oh. <laughs> and they were dead serious. And they would have these community meetings that they wouldn't um, reach out to anybody about. And you would show up and they would have like little tins of fried chicken. You feel me? <laughs> and it was it was a really interesting way of understanding how corporations sell our communities. Um, and so we also have to be able to intervene in that too, right? Um, I think it was Dick Gregory, right, who said everybody loves black <laughs> loves black people, but nobody wants to be black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said it differently, but I'm yeah, on, yeah. On, <laughs> I'm on your podcast, so let's go by y'all rules. <laughs> but I will say, like that is also a part. It becomes a part of the economic process, and so if we don't intervene in that, we won't fully be successful in changing the economic policies because they are attached to this whole set of cultural narratives that people also buy. But do black people have a choice in gentrification? I mean, it's like we don't own our houses. And plenty of black people own houses. No, you know what? No, no. You can say that. And yes, they do. I'm sure there's like 10 right now. But my point is, when it comes to actually stopping gentrification, we don't own enough of what we don't own to stop it. And so, therefore, can we ever stop it? That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, I think um, to switch gears just a little bit as we think about Women's History Month and and women in the movement, um, I want to talk a little bit about why, um, how you found your politics and what is it to be a a black woman in this movement when we know... In such um, a leading role. In in such a leading role, which can be scary Mm -hmm. um, because there are some crazy fools out here um, who badger folks. But also knowing just historically, something that really always bothers me is when I, I watch old movies or new movies that talk about the uh, civil rights era, but they don't spend enough time on the black women who because were a the women part of are, it. Oh, Martin's here. Let's give him a piece of pie. Well, you, yeah, yeah. they fry some chicken right. and they oh, help the guys get on out there to and, the march. Yeah, you're doing a good job, Martin. And you know that there are you know women that were out there marching, yeah. but they don't show how much of the planning and how much of mm-hmm. the actual heavy lifting that I know. That, that all women do in all facets <laughs> of the freaking black community. They run the church. Like everything. Oh, I get mad. Yes. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you move through that? Do you see that still? Or is that something that maybe was uh, from the past? You know, I think it's interesting because um, I do see that. And I also see um, the ways in which we can maybe block out other folk who um, are also very much a part of and have been a part of this movement. And yeah, for... Yeah, and for important and and in different reasons, right, get left out of the narrative, or sometimes their role gets overstated or understated. We talk more about black men than we do about black women, but I don't think we should not talk about black men just so we can talk about black women. Similarly, queer folks, trans folks, right, have also 
very much been present in movements, but we've understated um, our roles and our contributions and in favor of, right, other narratives that um, support, right, um, that help to support different, uh, um, sorry, that help to support uh, different goals and aims. And so um, as I um, think about kind of the legacy of how our movements get built, um, how our movements get advanced, right? Um, who's building and designing the strategies, who are taking risks. I think we could do ourselves some big favors to actually tell more complex stories about um, who is leading in our movements, what our contributions are. Now, with that being said, y'all, it is Women's History Month, so I know we do want to talk about the contributions and roles of Black women in particular. And I, I think there's something very special about what Black women do and have done um, as it relates to our movements. Um, for example, I think one thing that Black women have really brought to the forefront, right, is that ethos around not leaving anybody behind. We have so much experience getting cut out of the equation, getting pushed away from the table, um, that when we build movements, right, when we contribute to movements, we make sure to bring other people with us. And that's an ethos that I really want to make sure that we're lifting up this month and that we're carrying forward. I think that that is um, a good mantra. And I think I probably sound a lot angrier about the fact that I feel like women are um, overlooked in this work. Not sometimes. as angry. I'll tell you something. I, I don't think you're angry enough. I, I think that it is something that is very bothersome. And as a gay man, I've always been angry about the fact that, you know, Bayard Rustin wasn't recognized. And I think that we need to be more angry about the fact that black women are not recognized in, in all facets of black life. You know, uh, I, I think the, the anger is well-placed, and I think the anger is well-earned. What do we do with the anger, I guess? But, yeah, I think you should be angry. I think that the contributions of black women have been so steamrolled by not just our people, but by everybody. It's like everybody... Like, black woman is always at the very bottom of the bottom, and it makes me, it disgusts me. You are angry. I am. It's very you know, much history. So, <laughs> you know, one thing I didn't mention when we, when we did the introduction was that you have a book. You wrote a whole entire book, and it's not only just a, a really great book, but it's also a bestseller. Um, did Ooh. you hit the New York Times bestseller list? I know you did. You had to. Oh, my I God. I did. Oh, I, don't think I did get to write an awesome book, and um, it is called The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart. And I wrote this book um, because it was really the book I wanted when I started organizing um, and really was looking for a roadmap and didn't have anything current or contemporary to, to turn to. You know, for me, um, releasing that book in 2020 was monumental. It took me three years to write the book. Um, and I, you know, my mom died before I finished the book. And so I had a little bit of a hiatus. Um, but what felt really important to me about kind of how we got that book out um, and when we got it out was that it was an unprecedented time of activity, action and mobilization. And always in movements, right, we have these these great displays of protest. And then there are times when it feels like absolutely nothing is happening, right? You don't see people in the streets, and so you assume that there's no work going on. <laughs> but actually, what I wanted to be able to do with this book was help people to see the glue but that happens between protests, right? Protests are the most visible expression 
um, of our movements, right? But it's there's all this other work that goes into building and maintaining relationships that then help people come together and dream together and dare to do something different than has been done before. And really what we're seeing in protests, right, is is actually the culmination of that glue work that happens in between those eruptions. So hopefully what people get from the book um, is a real sense of what goes on behind the scenes. You know, I, I use my life story to kind of talk about how I got politicized. And then I also use the opportunity of the book to talk about the lessons I've learned in organizing. And what I'm hoping is that people really are able to take some gem from there and figure out what is their role, what is their contribution, um, and how are you going to help us come together as we are very much falling apart. Alicia, um, I've, I have, a, I think, a question that I don't know if anybody ever asked you. We all, when we die, want to leave something behind. We all want to leave a legacy or whatever. I personally think that your legacy it, it, it used to be like this wonderful person who did really some things. I think you were sort of the final straw for white racist. I think with, <laughs> with, with Black Lives Matter, I think that was the final straw. I mean, every time that we get anything, they destroy it. But I think that Black Lives Matter hit them in a way that nothing ever has. And I think that it has caused, and I, I don't, don't, don't want to say cause like in a bad way, I think that it has caused everything that we're going through right now. They got so scared by Black Lives Matter that they're doing everything from the don't say gay bill to you know all sorts of ways to keep down people of color and people who are different and, and all that kind of stuff. What do you think about that whole statement that I just made? <laughs> Yeah, you know, (laughs) (laughs) well, look, I mean, um, Black Lives Matter is um, one of my proudest um, accomplishments. And um, by that, what I mean is um, it was and still is an idea whose time has come. Um, And the backlash that we experience about Black Lives Matter um, means that we hit the right note at the right time. Now, with that being said, absolutely, white racists are like losing their minds over this. Um, But there's a lot of contention, right, about Black Lives Matter. And I think um, it's to be expected, right? That's something that could um, create such a cultural disruption, right? And, and, And also start to create a political and policy disruption um, um, could be so impactful, right? And also be so feared and seen as so dangerous. Um, I I think that one of the things that um, this last decade has allowed us to do is put a call out to people that you can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And as our conditions continue to deteriorate, I think more and more people are realizing this isn't about clans people and black people, right? Um, that actually racism is much more insidious than like the neo-Nazis that tried to attack the, the U.S. Capitol. That racism is policy and practice that's embedded in every aspect of our lives. And even well-meaning white people help to uphold systems and structures that are deeply unfair and unjust. Um, and so I think, I hope what we've created um, is, is an opportunity for people to better understand how our world works and to better understand their role in changing it. 
So I want to change gears a little bit because I feel like this whole interview has been very serious, which is important because oh, we're gonna get some fun smart. stuff. No, not 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 fun <laughs> stuff that you like because that's pretty <laughs> raunchy. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, what what you're watching, what you're, uh, you know, what podcasts are you listening to, or what shows are you binging to kind of take you away from from some of the the daily struggles and, and the heaviness that the work can bring. You mean to tell me that she doesn't just sit around all day and like activate? I don't, I think <laughs> activists can't activate all the time. Okay. <laughs> well, I will tell you, um, I just finished watching both seasons of Euphoria and I'm absolutely obsessed. Um, I'm you, stirred by that show. I, say, I won't I watch it. I will love not it. watch it. <laughs> But I think you're, you may be disturbed by that show because you have a child that is of around that age. Yeah. I do not. And so I am an <laughs> interested observer and spectator, but I have heard from my mother homies that they have no intention of watching yeah, that show. Yeah, it's so it hard. is really like, excellent, doing? though. It is really excellent. It reminds me of my high school experience. And we need to run Zendaya her Emmy like yesterday. She's fantastic. Emmy, I do love Emmy. She's an Emmy. She needs a Tony. She needs an Egon. She, yeah. yeah. She, she needs all, all of it. Yeah, she her. needs all of it. Yeah. I'm not doing much podcast listening these days, except my own takes a lot of time. Um, but I am also really looking forward to getting back into Snowfall, which is one of my absolute favorite shows. I fell off a little bit in the last season, but I'm ready to catch up and move forward. Well, I have to say something real quick. Erica always tells me about different things like podcast stuff, and it's all real like, oh, my black vagina, it's so wonderful, I'm a woman. And I just, I can't. I've never watched a podcast. I've never listened to a podcast you know, about you, my black vagina. You know what? You don't think you do. Anyway, the point is, she told me to listen to yours, and I was like, here we go. It's going to be about all that stuff again. Your podcast is so cool. Like, not to say that there's anything wrong with black vagina, I'm saying that your podcast, like, really goes all over the place, and I really like it. That, Thank you. Yeah, so it's, it has so many different like aspects to it, like when you take the questions from people or when you talk about queer relationships. Your um, your your uh, what do you call it? Your ode to your former partner was just beautiful. I just have to say that. Lady, oh, I really lady appreciate don't take that. no. You have to actually say the name of the podcast though. Lady, lady don't, don't take, take no. no. But don't, <laughs> but don't sing it. I'm sorry, Alicia. Go ahead. I apologize. I really appreciate that. That podcast is very much a labor of a labor of love. It is our pandemic podcast that could. Mm -hmm. And um, we are now doing a new segment on the podcast that's called Ladies Love Notes, which is all about. Um, no, it's not about your <laughs> vagina. It's about my vagina and what we do or don't do with it. No, actually, it's about um, being newly single at 40 and dating. And mm. all of the follies that come with that. So um, tune in. It's certainly, it's very fun. Ooh, every what's week. the worst thing that happened when you were dating now that you're 40? The tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> well, I can just say in last week's episode, we did a whole segment on how young is too young. And I don't mean oh. like <laughs> R. Kelly young or Drake young. Like <laughs> we just start with the premise that like we have nothing sexually in common if you can't vote in this country we have nothing in common so we're not talking 18 we're not talking 20s 
But like, if we start at age 30, how young is too young if you're 41? Erica, always the first question out of her mouth is, is he still in school? Right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you don't have facial hair exactly. like I, I just can't, I won't even remember what you're exactly. like. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, dating in your 40s is is dumb. I did that. and, um, and you I scored. Don't. Yes, I did score. Yeah. I did score. Did score. I'm trying to get some of your juju, sissy. <laughs> I don't know how she did it. She's not the well, most easiest person to deal with. You know, I'm a, Capric I'm a Capricorn. That's all I'll say. Okay. I'm a Capricorn, and I'm through and through with a whole lot of uh, Virgo moons and suns and stuff. So I, you won yeah, the lotto. I, I may not. I may not be the most easy to deal with, deal with, but I am. I, I'm worth it. Like Virginia Slim. <laughs> I love, I love. <laughs> but yeah, I but I think not even just dating uh, as in your forties, but I think it dating in this movement work. Is, oh yeah, can, yeah. I think that that can be difficult. And dating with somebody you are you are you know someone with a full on Wikipedia page, so that's a whole <laughs> different thing too. It's right. like how do you separate the real weirdos from people who are just sort of weird because they are in the movement work? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do you get a lot of star? What's the word? I, can I use another word instead of the f word? Star like like stands do you get a lot of stands okay. <laughs> you know i actually i mean i don't i don't date stands but <laughs> um i have had um a very recent experience of um what i'm gonna call like hero worship mm. which um makes relationship really challenging because it interrupts your ability to build intimacy if somebody is always worried about disappointing you or letting you down, even though that's what happens in relationships, um, because you're like their hero, then you never actually get to build intimacy um, or be able to make mistakes or be like fully human, which is what relationships do. <laughs> so not stands, but definitely, you know, um, folk who they have to kind of wrap their mind around the fact that I'm like I'm a person. I'm not like a figure. I'm a human that has tons of flaws and I'm really longs for like real deep connection. That's not about what I've done, but is about who I am. Are you allowed flaws? Am I a what? Are you allowed flaws? I mean, are you allowed because, to have flaws? Are you allowed to have I, flaws? Because people, look I at should you, be. I don't know. I just <laughs> think that people don't, I don't want to say that people don't look at you as human, but people look at you as something like Mount Rushmore, you know, like, you know what I mean? Her yeah, I big. do. <laughs> I do. And it's a lot. And um, yeah, it's a part of the it's a part of the dating landscape. Well, we wish you luck in your in your adventures and your adventures of dating in a new place as well. So Atlanta, hopefully, oops, I'm supposed to say that. Uh, hopefully I appreciate that. that I appreciate uh, that. That gives you um, some good some good Wait, juju. I have one more question. No, but we're over time. I so don't care. fine. Ask the last question. Okay. So uh, here's my question, Alicia. Um, Eric and I have talked about this before. There's just this renaissance of black women right now and everything, you know, Issa Rae and all these black women who are just so important, you and Erica, who I consider to be in the pantheon. Um, is this just a moment in time? Is this just a, the trendy thing right now or is this going to be lasting? No, it's just that people are just starting to see what's always been. Um, we've always been dope. <laughs> Y'all are just being introduced to us. So welcome. Take a seat and get to know a little bit about us. Have several seats. Right. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. That was a very good last question. Thank you, Erica. 
<laughs> and thank you, Alicia. Thank good you, luck Alicia. with your move and good luck with life and good luck with all the things that are coming next. I'm sure there's some some really dope yeah, stuff. Yeah, if you do a reality up. show, I'll come down and be in it. Well, oh, I really appreciate that, y'all. Thank you, and thanks for having me on today. Thank, Thank you. you. It's time for the stoop. It's time to get on the, the porch stoop. and gossip about all things. And with us again is one of our favorite people, uh, Miss Laura Martin. Yay. Hello. We're going to talk about all the uh, juicy things. You brought up Smokey Robinson to me the other day. What is he doing? Yep. Smokey Robinson uh, was interviewed and just casually said that he resented being called African American. And, you know, as we all know, Smokey is famously light-skinned, green eyes, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. Personally, I have never liked it. I thought that it was some Jesse Jackson stuff that he brought up when he realized you could call a consulting company and you weren't being accused of blackmailing white corporations. I hate the term African-American. I'm not African-American. I'm black. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another for most people. Um, I, I refer to myself as black, you know, I think it was you that said a long time ago, people, so most black people only say African-American if they're white people or there's a grant in the room. That, that, I don't, I don't black think. Black people only say <laughs> if there's a white person or a grant in the room. Yeah, there's just, there's just some money tied to it. It's like, yeah, then we're African-Americans, but I don't, yeah, I don't know any of my friends who said around, you know, as African-Americans, as an African-American, right. I'm an African-American. I don't know anybody who actually says that. And then and stuff like, like Charlize Theron, she's African-American in all technicalities right. and the way that goes, you know, but that doesn't def define a, a black person from a actual African who now uh, is a United States citizen or what have you. Yeah. So so I think it's more about an ethnicity maybe. I don't know that it is a race if you're gonna think about it in that way. I think it's an, I think you know it's but it's certain you know folks preferences and but you know and, and maybe he says it because he came up in a time when you know they were Negroes and they went from Negroes to being I'm black and I'm proud and you know he wants to stick to that and that might be how he feels he's like no this is where I found my home and I found my space and how I identify and this is what made me feel good about myself and so that um I think is is really important the thing about that I thought was weird really in that whole conversation was he said something about in all his travels he's yet to go to Africa that was a red flag to me what sir sir you're like <laughs> <laughs> a lot of years old, you should have been to Africa. You should have been to every country yeah. by now and toured in That's some sort really of way. Weird. That not like so he didn't want to uh, go. Tracks of my tears or any of the Motown review over there. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, Laura. Yeah, it feels like every few years there's some <clears throat> some community that has a quarrel or a discussion about how we refer to ourselves. I remember when calling yourself black was kind of controversial, like maybe in the mm -hmm. 90s or so. And that I think that's probably when African-American came about. But then again, do you really know if you're African? I think some people set it up in a way so we may <laughs> never know our, you know, how to trace ourselves. But, Prince you know, the, yeah. <laughs> but, you know the, the Hispanic or Latinx or Latino or Latine community, they're also going back and forth, older 
folks want to be called Hispanic, younger people want to be called Latinx, middle age want to be called Latino. And then I've also talked to friends who are Southeast Asian about, um, you know, people always hearing black, brown, and do they want to be referred to as yellow or do they refer to themselves as brown too? So it's kind of like, these are ongoing discussions that tend to happen every new generation. And I think it's good to get the context. Like what Derek said, he grew up probably being called colored or a Negro. Colored. And it's good to get the context. I was going to bring up my birth certificate says my father was a Negro. And wow. uh, no, he was a colored, but I've been colored, Negro, Black, African-American. And now what? What? Now you're Derek. <laughs> now you're Derek. Yeah. But finally, Kim K, you always like to yeah. bring, I don't feel like we can do an episode if you don't say something about that girl. You know what? Yeah, and this time I'm a little disappointed, I must say, you know, I stand for her. But um, basically she was recorded with, I think it was People Magazine, talking about how uh, they were talking about women business owners and what was her secret to success. And girlfriend went off. She was like, you gotta work, you gotta have your butt there every day. You gotta create a non-toxic work environment. She's not wrong, I believe. However, it's a little odd hearing it from someone who probably has never picked dirty panties up off the floor herself, you know? Well, Thoughts? I'm not anyone, <laughs> anybody else's dirty panties up off the floor. But yeah, it, it's one of those things of being really, really tone deaf. And I think that, yeah. yeah, you can say that you work really hard and she might actually work hard. You'd have to work hard to do, to I be in the limelight and stay in, in, in the public as much as she does. But at the same time, what are we considering hard work? And, and, you know, most people brought the fact that, you know, she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. She was born of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a rich father. And then her mm. stepfather, also rich, or stepmother now, also rich, you know, and her mom <laughs> is probably the one that actually was doing the hard work. So yeah. I don't know. It's weird. She's weird. Mm -hmm. She could, you know, find something else to talk about. And to never have to really know what it means to wonder if you're gonna get your lights shut off or um, if your car is gonna get repossessed or, you know, mm -hmm. and not getting enough hours, having your hours cut, having your pay dot, you know, come on, no dock your pay, you know, set it off, you know, type of thing. I, I don't, I don't think- Set you it off is your touchstone, isn't it? You wanna be I don't people, set it don't off. <laughs> I wanna be Jada Pinkett Smith because she got it away. <laughs> I would much rather be her. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, you, yes. I, I, I apologize if I just told you the end of Set It Off the that came black out. People and, haven't seen that movie. <laughs> that came out, I think, in 1995. I apologize. I, I totally agree with what Erica said. I think that um, Kim Kardashian is able to run so many businesses because she has, you know, uh, nannies, cleaners, housekeepers, mm -hmm. the people whose work is always being taken for granted. And this this world runs off the unpaid labor of women um, doing home care and providing home care to wealthy women like Kim Kardashian. And um, these, these girls need to stop acting like they're self-made. I mean, not all of us can have dads who have a best friend that kills their wife and makes banks for their family. So <laughs> in case oh, 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 the, oh, the man was acquitted. The brother was acquitted. <laughs> and they made a lot of money, probably who yes. over the retainer fees to all exactly. the, to the dream team. Exactly. Licensing. Oh my God. And that was that. the news. <laughs> I know. And it, if anybody ever saw the OJ versus uh, whatever, 
whatever it was on, on Netflix. The People versus OJ. Yes, OJ, The People versus OJ. That, the miniseries. It was so good, though. It and it really, really brought was. me back because that was when I think I really understood like stuff because that was like high school for me. And I was like, who is OJ Simpson? And like, I don't know. I was like, oh, he's the guy oh, from that, God. those Lethal Weapon, or was it movie? Yep, the, Lethal Weapon. It was, yeah, Lethal Weapon. Or no, it wasn't Lethal Weapon. It was oh, the my other God. Weapon. Oh, my God. Don't talk history. Yes. You don't know it. OJ was everything. OJ ran through Okay, but I didn't OJ know OJ. Ever. I knew nothing about OJ. I knew he was in those those movies, the funny movies that yeah, we can't the remember police, the name whatever. of. He was in Police Academy or something. I don't know. No, 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 no. The he gun movies. That. Naked Gun. Somebody. Naked Gun. He was a star. Oh, and it was like he Naked Gun, two and a half. Yes. That's all I knew. the biggest star. And next thing you know, he is. Negro. But I didn't understand why it was so exciting to see him driving down the street. And I was just like, well, he wasn't even that big of a star in those movies. But I didn't know anything about his football career. I don't know anything about that. Or, or his, his love for the white ladies. I didn't know about that. But hope maybe OJ is listening because, you know, he does live in Vegas. And OJ, I saw him at Queensbridge. Yeah, he's got a Bentley convertible. OJ, come on. <laughs> Come on, you're listening. OJ now. is running. <laughs> OJ is running through First Wives in Summerlin like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he got he got everybody's stepmama on on speed dial. Come right, on. right. Come on. Um, I I follow. I do follow him on Twitter because he he's. Do of, you? I do. I follow a lot of random people on Twitter. Mm. Anywho, we have to wrap up. We're, well, OJ can go. come on the show if he wants to get on the stoop and talk about gossipy things. We're having OJ virtual, official though. Official I don't invite. want you in the Can same her? room with him. I'm not his type. Safe. I'm not his type. We're okay. <laughs> we are completely okay. But I want to thank oh Laura, forehead. the fabulous thank Laura Martin. Thank you and... for having me. It was so fun. yes. Please come back and and talk more gossip with us, cause we can have a whole hour and just and just spill the tea. <laughs> oh, Laura, how do people find you online? You can visit Twitter at Laura K M M. Yes. So once again, play cousins third Saturday of the month are KCP eighty eight point one FNM. Bye right, everybody. Thank you, people. Play it's cousins. been a, it's been a great show. You'd better think. Play Cousins is powered by Make It Work Nevada, a project of Talents Advocacy, produced by Erica Washington and Brenda Louie. For more information, visit www.playcousinspodcast.com.